as it says in Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. The Lord is indeed going before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. God bless and honor the reading of his word. You may be seated. He will not fail you nor abandon you. He will not leave you nor forsake you, as it often says in other versions. One reason why I do like some of the other versions is because it gives you words that can help you in times that you need it. The Hamas, by another name, the ISIS, and they are the same thing. Terrorist. The terrorist. Thank you. The terrorist, Hamas or ISIS, as you know, they snuck attack Israel on the Gaza Strip just a few days ago, eight days ago, in fact. That was last Saturday. And it surprised just about everybody. Although I don't know why we're surprised. They've been fighting with Israel for so very, very long. That's what they do. That's what they've been doing for so very, very long. The Hamas want to destroy all Jews. That's the quote. That's the quote and the point that they say that they want to do. That's a horrible, horrible quote. It's a horrible point that they want to make. And so far, and this is from a couple days ago, so far, at least 1,900 people have been killed in Gaza. 1,900 people, nearly 2,000. And that's at least. So that's a horrible, horrible statement. It's true. Israel became a state on May the 18th, 1948. And Palestine has not become a state. There is no state. Uh, there are a couple of territories on the Gaza Strip, also a section in the eastern border. And there are a few little places uh, in the eastern part of Israel uh, and also different parts of Judah. If you put Judah and Israel together, you have Jerusalem. And that is what uh, Jerusalem is made of, Judah and, and uh, Israel together. And uh, I'm wearing a tie that says, pray for Jerusalem. This is my father's tie. He loved it very much, and so do I. Palestine, as I said, has no state. It's an unfortunate truth that the land that God created and gave over to uh, his people uh, is a land that will always be fought for. It has always been fought for from the moment he gave it. It is a promised land that was given over to his people. He gave it to Abram. He gave it to them, and we're going to talk about that today. In fact, the title of today's sermon is called The Unconditional Promise of God. The Unconditional Promise of God. So turn with me, if you will, as we talk about God's promise to Abram. And then it's going to turn to God's promise to Abraham. But first, let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. Oh, yes, I have to turn to that myself. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Genesis 12, 1 through 7. And it says in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 7, 
Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your family, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Verse 2 says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will make them who bless you and curse him who curse you. And in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. What does he mean by that? Well, because through him, someone's going to come. Not just a nation's going to come, but from him is going to come another one. Oh, long from him, long from them is going to come another one. It's going to be God in the flesh, but we're going to get to that another time. But from him is going to come another, going to come another. And that is uh, Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 7. We just went through that. And therefore, from, from this, um, we have to know that where, did it, where was it? Where was it that Abram first came from then? Where was it that Abram first came from? Well, he came from another man. He came from another another land. He came from, it says, he came from Ur. He, uh, Abram first came from a land called, he, it said he came from Ur, and he came from the land of the Chaldeans. Now, that's an interesting place. He came from the Chaldeans. So that's where Abram first came from. But now we see that God told him to get up from your land. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a squatter. That's where I am. I'm a squatter. I, and you say, are you really a squatter? Yes, I am. I have been a, a member of the Moment of Truth Bible Church, and then it became the, the uh, no, excuse me, the Moment of Truth Baptist Church since 1982 when it was first founded. And then it became the Moment of Truth Bible Church in 1985. And then it became the Moment of Truth Bible Baptist Church in 1996. I was still a member. I went away for two years after my father passed away, and I just kind of needed a little bit of a break because I was uh, heartbroken for a while. Then I came back and became a deacon for a couple years, well, about a year, a little over a year. And then I was asked to fill the pulpit for a little while, and I became a pastor shortly after that, a couple months after that. And I have now been a pastor for over nine years. And so now I've been a pastor for nine years. And so I have been a part of the Moment of Truth since 1982, pretty much. So that means I'm a squatter. I sit in a place and I don't change all that much, as you can see. So I can't imagine God telling me to get up and change and do whatever. But if God told me to do it, I'd do it. If God tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. That's just how it goes. God has told me to change things before, and I've done it. God told me to start teaching children, and I did it. God told me to start teaching and preaching. I said, God, I can't do that. He said, do it. I said, I'll do it. But I didn't want to, but I did it. You know why? Because I want to please God. And that's what Abram did. God, when God told him to do it, he said, I'll do it. Now, Abram did it. He did that very thing. And then he did more. So let's now turn to chapter 15. The chapter 15, because there's a lot of other things happening. We're not going to get through all that. We're just not going to do it. Let's go to chapter 15 and see what happens. Chapter 15, verse 6 through 21. We're going to quickly read through all this. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, what does it mean he credited it to him as righteousness? He, being God, credited it to Abram as righteousness. Let's look at that again. Abram believed the Lord. After all that God had told Abram, 
Abraham completely had faith. He completely had faith. And God credited it to him. He gave it complete credit to him as and, and gave it to him as faith and credited him as righteousness. Folks, when you believe and you believe and you don't have any reason to believe, but you have faith in God and know that God is going to tell you the truth. God says, that's faith. That's righteousness. You believe in me and I will give it to you as a credit is righteousness and faith. And he believed. He believed because Abraham believed or excuse me, Abram at this time believed. Now that's righteous. And God knew that. So verse seven, he being he said to him, God said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give to you this land to possess it. But Abram said, Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Okay, here we go. Let's learn about the land, the promised land. What does he say? How will I know that I'll possess it? So he, being God, said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer. I've known a few heifers. Oh, wait, different. Okay, so bring me a, a, a three-year-old heifer. That's, a, that's a, a cow here. And a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all these to him. Now, why was it important that he did this? Because he's shown obedience. Folks, that's what God asked from us, isn't it? When he says to you, follow me, come to church, be obedient in church. Does it mean that God is going to get angry at you when you don't go to church? especially when you're sick and all that. No, 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 no. He says, be faithful. Get together with your brothers and sisters of Christ. Show your obedience. When he says to you, be obedient and tithe, what does that mean? It shows your obedience, that you're giving what you got, the 10%. And anything beyond that is offering. That's what that means. That's what it means. When he says to you, I have a duty for you to do, Come up and, and, and take care of the offering or come up and, and help the people of the church or whatever it might be. If you're doing that, it's showing that you're obedient and you're having faith in God. And that's what's happening right now. That's what's happening right now. So he said to him, he said, he said to him, bring me all these things. And he did. Then it says in verse 10, then Abram brought all these things to him and cut them into two and laid them in, in pieces uh, opposite of each other, uh, and he did not cut the bird in half. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and terror had, uh, and a great darkness fell on him. Then he said to Abram, God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants, well, he's dreaming now. But God's speaking to him through it. He said, know for certain that your descendants will live like will live as strangers in a land. Now, what's God doing? He's given him a foreshadowing of the future. Only God can do that. No crystal ball. No, none of that nonsense that people try to sell you on TV or anything else. But God is telling Abram was going to happen to his family. Listen to what he tells him now. He says, know for certain, not maybe, but for certain, that your descendants will live as strangers in a land that is not theirs, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for how long? 400 years. And pretty close to that, they do. But I will judge the nation that they serve. 
and afterward they will come out with great possessions. And for you, as for you, you will go to your fathers in peace and you will be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun went down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot with a flaming torch passed between these two pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant. Here we go. A promise a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, of the Kinzazites, of the Catamarites, excuse me, of the Catamanites, of the Hittites, of the Perizzites, of the Raphatites, of the Amorites, of the Canaanites, Canaanites, which we know them, and the uh, Jirgashites, and the Jebusites, a whole lot of ites. Of all these ites, God's given that land to them. He's given that land. It's a promise. When God says it, what? It's guaranteed. And you can take it to the bank. But now, now we're going to skip. We're going to skip, skip, skip. Skip to Genesis chapter 7. And this is right there, probably on the same page, at least mine is. We're going to skip to Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. And you know what this is. Oh, we skip some things because some things happen in between there where, you know, you got to forgive her. But uh, Abram's wife, Sarai, thought that they had to put it upon their own selves to get God's work done. And that isn't what God meant for, to, to have done because they decided they should have another son through another woman. And this is where Ishmael was born. But that's a whole other situation. Either way, God decides in verse chapter 17 here. Listen to what it says. Verse uh, one of chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between you and me and will exceedingly multiply you. Abram fell on his face and God said to him, as for me, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer will you be named, excuse me, will you be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And by the way, this is something that God said was going to happen and it happened. After all, Father Abraham had many sons. You all heard that, right? This is where it comes from. There you go. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come. Listen now. And kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To, to be God to you and your descendants after you. All the land of Canaan, where you now live as strangers, I will give to you and to your descendants for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. That is the most beautiful thing, the most beautiful, irrevocable. He gave him, uh, God reiterated his covenant, his promise, and it was an irrevocable gift. He gave him the whole land of Canaan. 
And remember, people, I've heard them say before, that was that, hey, wait a minute, that wasn't their land, that belonged to someone else. But whoa, God created everything. He created the whole world. It was God's to give. You can't tell God what to do. You can't tell God what to give. When God made it, it's his. And when God says it, it is guaranteed. It was God's land and he gave it as a gift. And later on, God repeated this very covenant to Isaac. In Genesis chapter 26, verse 2 through 5, Genesis 26, 2 through 5, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I tell you. He tells him, Sojourn in the land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For I will give to you and all your descendants on, this, uh, on these lands. And I will fulfill the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heavens. And I will give your descendants all these lands. By your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and keep my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. We then saw that Jacob, Jacob the son of Isaac, in Genesis 28, verse 13, we saw that he also, uh, he also received this covenant. We're not going to go through all that, but we saw that he received it. And by the way, his name in Genesis, 20, uh, Genesis 32, verse 27 was changed to Israel. This is why the land was named Israel, because his name was changed. So we see that in Genesis 28, we see that Jacob went uh, out. And why did Jacob have to leave the land? Because of what he did to his brother. Remember, he tricked his brother, he tricked his dad, and, and he was now going uh, to leave the land because he was afraid his brother was going to kill him. And when he did, he went and he slept that night in a, a little place and had his head laying on a rock as a pillow. And he saw, he saw in a dream, he saw the Lord God uh, talking to him. He didn't see God himself, but he heard the Lord God talking to him. And he had a dream. And in this dream, he saw angels going up and down the little stairway. You remember? And the Lord God told him that this was his land and that his family was going to own that land forever and ever. It was going to be his. But we know Jacob couldn't live there just yet. But it would be his. Later on, Joseph, Joseph would know about this land, as would all the people. Of course, we know that Joseph and those people would not live in that land. They would live in Egypt. But this is what Joseph, when he's about to die, would say in Genesis 50, verse 24. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. God will surely come to you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. This was a promised land, and it was promised for many generations to come. A promise, an everlasting promise of God, and it was guaranteed. It was guaranteed. It was absolutely guaranteed. And as I said before, and I've said many, many times, and I have it even on a hat, which I wear very often along to my grandfather, if God says it, it's guaranteed. And as we saw a while ago, as we saw a while ago, in the vision that God gave to Abram, which would become Abraham, the Israelites lived in Egypt for a very long time. And the Israelites became slaves. 
And they lived there for over 300 years, nearly 400 years, as God said. It was over 350 years, that's for certain. But we saw a lot of things happen at that time. And all those people knew about the promised land too. Every single one, they had visions too. God spoke to Moses at one time in Exodus 6, 6 through 8. In Exodus 6, 6 through 8, the Lord spoke to Moses and he said this, Therefore, say to the children of Israel, and he's, he means speak for me. It says, I am the Lord, God, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt, of the Egyptians. And I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stressed out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me. I will take you to me for a people and I will be to you a God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for a heritage. I am the Lord. And he went on speaking like this for such a very long time, even in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 20, verse 24. He said in Leviticus 20, 24, but I have said to you, you shall inherit their land and I will give it to you to possess it. A land that flows with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from other peoples. And we see it in so many other places. There's so many other places in Leviticus, in, in uh, Exodus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy. But let me give you another verse because I want to give, give you a few more. In Numbers 13.27, Numbers 13.27, they reported to him and said, now who reported to him? They had, spend, they had to send some spies into the promised land, the very land that... They could have went into that day and taken because God was going to send them into the promised land to take. You remember the people, the Israelites, the children, the Hebrews who were supposed to go in and take their land back, that very promised land. They knew there were Canaanites there. They knew they were there. And God said, go into the promised land and take it back. But we're going to send spies in first. And so they did. They went in, the spies did. And when they went in, this is what they reported back. They reported to him and said, We came to the land where you sent us, and surely it flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. And they had big fruit, big grapes. But there were 12 spies, and 10 of them who went were afraid, very afraid. And they were so afraid, they spread lies to all the people, and they scared the people, they scared all the people to go in. And so they all decided not to go in. Even though God was with them, they were afraid to go into the land. And so they decided not to go take their land. And because of that, because of that, that is why they could not go into their land. For 40 and whole years, for 40 whole years, they had to walk in the wilderness. They had to walk in the wilderness. And that is why the people could not go to their land and had to walk for 40 years in the wilderness. And God made it as punishment 
that that entire generation had to die off one by one until their children were older and their children could go in. In fact, the young men who grew up and, and were older, they had to be circumcised all over again. In fact, that is why you see in the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy, you see the, the laws and the rules being spoken all over again. That is why you hear a lot of the same things being repeated again, because the older people have died off and the young people have to hear it all over again. You know how it is, how sometimes mom and dad have to repeat themselves again and again. Now uh, Moses is getting older and he's having to repeat to the children again. And now Joshua is in charge and, and Caleb is in charge and they're having to repeat themselves. Do I have to repeat myself, kids? Yes, dad. You know how it is. It's the way it is. And, and daddy, God, you know, father, God, he's having to repeat himself because the kids didn't obey. So now he's having to make sure they obeyed so they can go into the promised land. And because the two good spies did do what they're supposed to do, they got the lead. Joshua and Caleb. Moses would not get to go to the promised land. Because God said he did not obey as he should have. We'll get to that another time. But now, now we're going to go, now we're going to go into Deuteronomy. We're going to go into Deuteronomy. Chapter 29. And we're not going to read all of it, of course. But I'm just simply going to mention to you. That Moses reminds the people of the covenant. That's what he did all through that. And the reason why I want to tell you about this chapter of Deuteronomy chapter 29 is because, believe it or not, it is in this chapter, this long chapter, where Moses is simply talking to people about the covenant of God. And then going into chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, the very first, well, let me get to that real quick. I've skipped it here. Here we go. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, we see a lot of things being said, but they're talking about the things that should not do the, the idols and all these things. Suddenly we get to chapter 30. And in chapter 30, we have verses 4 and 5. And when you get to verses 4 and 5, listen to what it says here. It says, if any of you are driven out, if any of you are driven out to the utmost parts of heaven, from there will the Lord your God gather you, and from there he will get you. It says in verse 5, the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed. And you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Now, this is not very confusing. This is the Lord God speaking to the Israelites. We know that. It makes complete sense. But believe it or not, to some people, this is known as the Palestinian covenant. The Palestinian covenant. Also known as the land covenant which I have no problem calling it the land covenant because it's a covenant given to the Israeli people, the Hebrew covenant, what it actually is. If you read all of chapter 29 and you read all of the chapters going up to it, you know what it is. But for some reason, the way people do, the way the devil always does, he takes one or two verses out of the Bible 
or he takes the meaning and definition out of it, and people will try to put into it things that aren't even there. And so somehow people have taken that and think that it means that this is a promise to the Palestinians that that land belongs to them. But of course it's not. It's not. It doesn't mean that at all. But that's how they take it. But we know what happened after that. We know that Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. And after he fought the Battle of Jericho, that land that was Canaan's, in chapter 21 through 43 through 45, we know what happened. We know that that land was given to them. That was a land that was promised to those children in the first place. Amen. That land belongs to Israel. That land belongs to Israel. I'll say it again. That land that was Canaan's, that land that was all in that area, that was that land that we now know is Jordan, that land that is was is known as Israel. That land altogether that is Jerusalem, that land belongs to the children of Israel. The Jewish, the Hebrews, that land belongs to God, which he gave to the Israeli children. Every single one of them, that's theirs. He gave it to them. It, in fact, I want to just tell you what it says. It says, uh, I just got to tell you this. God knew what was going to happen because he's God. He knows all things. Do you know that in chapter five of Joshua, did you know that as God was speaking to Joshua and them before they even went and took the land? Did you know that God in chapter five was telling through Joshua that there was going to be a Babylonian captivity and later on there was going to be a Roman destruction? It's almost as if God knew what was going to happen in that land. It's almost as if God knew that throughout that land, there was going to be captivity. There's going to be destruction coming in. It was almost as if God knew that there was something going to happen with Persia, with the Greek, with Romans. There was going to be wars for the land for centuries to come. Oh, wait, he did. You know why? God knows all things. It's almost as if he knew that one day the Germans would come and try to destroy the Hebrews and the Jewish people because they're nothing but a, but a bunch of anti-Semites. Yes, he knew. He knew there'd be a bunch of anti-Semites today. He knows there's a bunch of anti-Semites now who call themselves free people in our country, ones who want to talk about freedom for all people, and yet they teach our children to hate the Jewish? What's wrong with them? What's the matter with them? They try to tell us that they want believe in freedom for all, and yet they're almost celebrating the death of babies? What's the matter with them? Of course, why am I surprised? They teach the little girls to go out there and sleep with everyone that kill their babies. Why would I be surprised? I don't know. But these are the things that have happened in our land. These are the things that happened in that other land. Children being murdered. About 40 children being beheaded while the mothers and fathers have to watch, and then the mothers and fathers are killed. These are the things that are happening. Because God's land has been attacked for centuries on end. And do not be confused. Do not be fooled. It is not the people that's really being attacked. It's God that's being attacked. Because these are people who are demonically, demonically being controlled. 
This is what's been going on for centuries. It's going to continue to go on until Jesus Christ comes and takes us back. And even after that, even after that, the Jewish people are going to realize that they missed the mark, that Jesus Christ had already come, that he was the Messiah and is the Messiah. And then they're going to get up and they're going to realize we missed it. But then they're going to get on board. And once they get on board, everybody is going to say, hey, I'm going to die for the Lord God because I missed him once. But we're not going to miss him again. And even when that happens, there's going to be a new Jerusalem coming. We're going to talk about that in a moment. There's going to be a new Jerusalem because let me just tell you something, brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me tell you something. Even though there's a lot of tasks going on in Jerusalem right now, the new Jerusalem is never going to be destroyed. It's going to go on forever and ever and ever. Amen. There's nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Oh, but what if they kill us? Oh, baby, let me, let me tell you. They can kill me right now, but I'm not afraid because I got a new body waiting, baby. Ain't going to be no tumors. There's going to be no seizures in this body. I'm not worried at all what they're going to do to me. They can attack me for every little thing, and they can attack my brothers and sisters of Christ, and they can attack everyone else. But let me tell you, God has a plan. He has a plan for all of us. And he's got a plan for Israel as well. And he knew these attacks were going to happen. And he knows the attacks are going to happen to you too. And don't you be afraid. Don't you be afraid. Have courage. Have courage. Because the same God that promised the land to Abraham is with you today in you as his son. So you call upon him and fall in his arms and know that he will hold you and keep you going. Oh, there's been so many attacks, hatreds, massacres, abuses, genocides, anti-Semitism, and so much more, demonic hatred towards God. And they aren't even aware. I've been hated so many times, and I can't really blame them. Because if I didn't know what's going on, I'm talking about hating us all, not just me. I can't blame them. Because if I was one who hated God too, and I saw the light shining through the people, and I hated them, I'd want to put out that light too, but they're not going to put out the light. Even if they put out a person, that light's going to keep on shining through all the others. And that light's going to come back. Oh, let me tell you. And even when he comes back and takes us all home, and he will, he's still going to come again. He's going to come back on a shining horse, and we're going to come right there with him. It's just a matter of time. But what are we to do as children soldiers, as Christian soldiers? There's difficult times upon us. And we're all just waiting on the promises of God. Oh, we're to remember his word. We're to remember, we're to remember the promises of God. Not just waiting on them, but watching them, watching those promises remembering his word, remembering his promises, which are in him. So I'm going to give you a few. I'm going to give you a few. I'm going to give you a few promises that he's told to us. Give you a few scriptures that will help you in your times of, this, of, of hard times. Earlier, earlier, we read to you Deuteronomy 31.8. So let me give you another verse that goes with it. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Because it says in Hebrews 13, verse 5, your conduct must be free from the love of money. Now, this really isn't about money. This is what I'm talking about right here. Even though money 
we all have to have it to get through life. I'm talking about free from power. And that's what the people of this world want. Power! We see it all throughout the land. Power, power, power. But what it says, your conduct must be free from the love of money and you must be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will never abandon you. Never leave you, never forsake you. I'm never going to leave you alone. He's with you always. When, when, when is he with you? Always. If you feel alone and you feel like God's not with you, it's only because we're looking at other things. We're looking at other things. We're doing like Elijah did. Elijah wasn't alone when he felt alone. He was just looking all around. He wasn't listening to the still small voice. He was listening to the earthquakes. You know, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm very guilty of this. When God's talking to me sometimes, I'm, I'm too busy watching the news, too busy listening to other things, music or whatever. And sometimes I feel like God deep, 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 deep in a still small voice like Philip, be quiet. Listen, be still. How can you hear him if you're too busy jabbering, listening to all those other things? Turn it off. That's why there's a power button. How can you receive the power of God if you won't turn the power of the world off around you? You can do it. You can do it. Psalm 32, verse 8. Psalm 32, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye on you. The book of James. Chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. My brothers, and this one's kind of hard. It says, my brothers, count all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith develops patience. So when we see all the temptations around us, and there's a lot, there's a lot. We'll talk some more about this coming up real soon. A lot of temptations, a lot of diverse temptations all around us, and I know. But God can develop a faith through it. You don't need to be paying attention to the world. But instead, turn to the creator of the world, especially during this time. Remember the promise of God. The promise of God. Romans 4, chapter 13. Romans 4, chapter 13. It was not through the law that Abraham and his descendants received the promise that he would be the heir of the world. I want to say that again. This is really good. I love it. It was not through the law that Abraham and his descendants received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness of faith. Amen. Amen. And we need to remember that too. It's through your faith. It's through your faith that we receive Christ. It's through your faith, following him, not for what you do. But what we do is because we believe and follow 
Isaiah 40, verse 31. <clears throat> and this is a good one. Isaiah 40, verse 31. I know you've heard this. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Israel and Judah, Jerusalem, promised land. All of this is really just a foreshadowing. It's foreshadowing. Oh, we love those lands, and we should always support them. I had someone ask me just the other day because of something we saw, something we saw the other day. Someone's trying to say that Christians are not the uh, replacement of uh, the Jewish. In some ways, that's true. In some ways, we know that the Judaism overlooked uh, Christ. But Judaism, the faith, is not the same as the Jewish people. So people, over, they don't understand that sometimes. But that being said, that being said, take a look at this here. Israel and Judah, which is Jerusalem, the promised land, is a foreshadowing of the ultimate promised land to come. The ultimate unconditional promise of God, a new land, a final home. And there's but one ticket to it, and that's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So I'm going to finish. i got two scriptures left, but one particular before we go to the final one. And that's Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 3. And I want you to hear this, everyone. You think about the new Jerusalem. Because no matter what happens to those wonderful people. And by the way. I know I get angry sometimes myself when I hear foolishness on the different news sources and foolishness in the court, in the uh, college uh, courses and college uh, campuses telling these uh, poor, ignorant children. And I do say poor because I feel sorry for them. They're, they don't mean to be so ignorant, but they are because they're being taught incorrectly, being taught incorrectly. You know, in reality, I, I'll tell you who I feel sorry for the most. I feel sorry for those teachers, those professors. Uh, that what I guess from here on out, I'm going to uh, call them the nutty professors. But these uh, nutty professors who are uh, teaching these children that, and these kids think it's true, because those nutty professors are going to have to answer to God. They're going to have to answer to God for what they're teaching them. Now, maybe they think it's true. I don't know. Maybe they're trying to be popular. I, I really don't know. But the truth be told, that's God's land, God's promised land. And you're actually telling young people to, that it's good to want to kill those people? What's the matter with you? I don't understand. Of course, I wouldn't. But we should really pray for those professors because we want good for them. We don't want bad for them. And we should pray for those young people. We don't want bad for them either. We want good for them. We want God's righteousness to come upon them. And by that, I mean we want love for them. We want his love to come through and seep into their heart through the Holy Spirit. I want nothing but good for them. It really amazes me that even some Christians, uh, dare I say, ones who are not understanding, but they seem to have uh, misunderstood some of the scriptures. But listen to what it says in Revelation 21, 1 through 3. Then I saw, and this is John speaking now, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Look, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. We will be with God forever. In the new Jerusalem, on the new earth, and you will have nothing to fear. There'll be no more battles, no more wars. All will be well. This is after, after everything has come to an end. No more judgments. Everything will be great. We will be with God forever and ever and ever. In the new Jerusalem, amen and amen. And I'll read this final, this final verse, and we will close in prayer. John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let us bow in prayer. Lord God, thank you for your promise. Thank you for your promise of the new land, Lord, of a promised land. And Lord, I'm not even speaking so much about the promised land of Israel today, but of the new Jerusalem, of the new Jerusalem that we will all be at. The new Jerusalem, Lord God, that each and every one of us will be at, Lord God, after heaven and after everything is finalized. Lord, I thank you for this hope and this truth. Lord, I pray right now for all of the lost. I pray, Lord God, that you reach out to them. Lord God, I'm... I know that you've given us all free will, but I'm begging you, Lord God, please give them a chance. And I pray that they will answer, Lord God. And I know that you will not make them because you've given us free will. But, Lord, I do pray that you will send someone that they will listen to. I pray, Lord God, that you will send the Holy Spirit in such a way and speak to them in such a way, Lord God, that it will uh, you'll be able to cut through uh, their non-understanding manner, Lord, and that they will be able to to just be able to get it. And Lord God, we don't want anyone to go to hell, but I pray right now, especially for Israel. I pray for Israel right now that's going through so much loss. And Lord, I even pray, Lord, for the Hamas. I pray for them, Lord, because I don't want them to go to hell either. And I pray, Lord God, that they will see through the lies that the devil has put upon them. And Lord God, I pray right now that you will help us in this world that you will speak to us and through us, Lord God, that you will help us to help anyone who is not getting uh, to see your truth, that you, Lord God, will just open the veil and allow them to see your word, Lord, allow them to see the Holy Spirit. And I pray this in your holy, precious name, that there be anyone here today who either doesn't know you or is needing a special prayer, a special answer to a prayer. I pray you'll do this today. I pray, Lord God, you will send them forward, and then, Lord, you will give them the answers they need. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.